We're excited about what God is doing in our church. We really are. Uh, so many people are, are coming to know Christ and to, uh, being discipled and, and, and moving forward in the relationship with Jesus. Uh, all four locations. Every, every location that you go to is healthy. Uh, the, the, the people are healthy. Uh, you know, we don't want to take that for granted. We don't want to take it for granted coming to a church like this, being in a relationship with people like this that we can trust, being in small groups with people that we can share our life with. And for some of you, this might be the only expression of Northwood that you kind of get to connect with. And I want to encourage you to take a couple steps deeper over the next few months. We're wrapping up our group semester. Actually, I believe next week is the last, the last semester, uh, the last week of the semester. And then we're going to uh, take off June and July. But we're going to be uh, coming back into gear in August. And I want to encourage you, if you weren't able to be a part of a group this semester, to start looking towards August about how you can be involved and how you can get plugged in. And, uh, man, I love services like this. They're great. But there's also more to being a part of the church, being a part of the body of Christ than just Sunday morning. You know what I'm saying? So uh, I just want to encourage you in that. But uh, we're going to kick into gear into our, uh, one of our last weeks of the series Kingdom Manifesto. We've been in this series since February. And what it is, it's really just a study of the Sermon on the Mount, which is one of Jesus' first and longest recorded sermons. And uh, what we talked about a whole lot, if you, if you haven't been here, I want to give you like a quick snippet. It's kind of hard to summarize. I don't know, three months worth of teaching in, in five minutes. But uh, Jesus is teaching us what it means to be a follower of Christ. You know, there's a lot of things that are trendy. And uh, they're trendy the first few months or maybe the first couple of years. But the longer that you're in it, the less trendy it gets. And so Jesus, when he first starts his ministry... He's sort of trending, you know what I'm saying? He's like the, the trending hashtag on Twitter or whatever. He's healing people. There's a lot of great, great things happening. He starts building a following. But then how many of you guys know that there, there's like fair-weathered friends? There's people who show up for the party, but they don't want to stay and clean up when it's done. You know what I'm talking about? If you don't know, you're that person that... Like as soon as you feel like people are starting to leave, you're like, oh, I got to go. And you leave like the trash for everybody else to pick up. But there, there are some people who are following Jesus and there's Pharisees, you know, religious teachers. There's Jews. There's Gentiles. There's people from every walk of life. And, and he's sort of like he's bringing clarity to what it means to actually be a Christian what we would call a Christian, what they would call a disciple or a student of Jesus. And so uh, this, this, these teachings have been full of challenges and instructions. He's given us options, okay? Uh, let's see. Uh, it's, we've been challenged with two treasures, two masters, two gates, two roads, a lot of choices, right? And today we're going to see another contrast about two foundations, two foundations. Um, I heard a story recently of this guy who, um, you know, they're, they're living, they're obviously in a house and in his bedroom, they had a crack in their wall. And so he called a painter out to come and replaster it and, and paint it and blah, blah, blah. Guy does a great job. A couple weeks later, the crack's back there. So he calls the guy back out and he's like, hey, man, you obviously didn't do a good job. The guy's like, man, I thought I did a good job. Okay. So he redoes the whole thing. Same thing about a month later, there's another crack in the wall. So the guy's like, well, I'm going to call somebody else. So he calls another painter. <clears throat> Guy comes out and he's standing in his room looking at the crack and kind of just paying attention. Uh, and, and it wasn't just one crack anymore, by the way, there was like multiple cracks all over the place. And so, so uh, he, uh, he looks at it. And so he looks at the guy and says, man, I can't, I can't fix this. The guy's like, no, I mean, I need you to fix it because I can't fix it, you know. And uh, he says, no, your problem isn't 
something wrong with the paint or the sheetrock. Your problem is your foundation is moving. And so that same crack and more cracks are going to continue to show up because it ain't the paint. It's, it's the foundation, right? His whole house was moving. And so as we talk today, I want you to keep that picture in mind about a shifting foundation and how sometimes there's something shifting or there's something wrong or right, but wrong, typically when it's wrong, that's whenever we start seeing these cracks in the wall. All right, and our lives are like that. Our lives are built on a foundation, and that's what Jesus is going to talk about today. These also are the last words that Jesus speaks, um, uh, uh, speaks in this sermon. Uh, next week's kind of a closing thought, but, uh, but these are actually the last words. And so let's start in verse 24 of chapter 7. It says, everyone then who hears these words of mine, uh, these words have the entire Sermon on the Mount, and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Everybody wants to live on the beach. Everybody wants to live like, you know what I'm saying? I went on vacation a couple of weeks ago. It was absolutely insane. I uh, went and visited some family in California. We're on the West Coast and... Uh, it was probably the, the coolest spot as far as how close we were to the, to the ocean. Uh, I mean, it was ridiculous. Like, by the way, they <clears throat> check, because a lot of houses in San Diego on the, uh, or Oceanside, on the water, they don't have AC. It's crazy, all right? Because you can open your windows and you can have air come in, right? You're so close. It's so nice. Except your whole room smells like salt the whole week. And so, anyway... It doesn't help whenever you get the stomach bug, too, and you have to lay in that room for a day and a half. How many stomach bug on vacation people do I have in the room? Isn't it terrible? It's horrible. It's happened two or three times in my life so far. Anyway, but uh, you want to live close to the edge. However, if you don't build your house right and you're just on sand, it looks really good, but it ain't going to last very long. You know what I'm talking about? Because you got to find bedrock. You have to found that house on a rock. And so that's the, kind of the picture that Jesus is giving today. I want to I share with you three points that I see Jesus uh, leaving us with on the Sermon on the Mount. The first one is this. Jesus gives us the choice. He gives us a choice. When you hear the words of Jesus, you also have a responsibility in choosing how you will respond. Kind of let you guys into my mindset when it comes to me teaching uh, week in and week out. I don't ever feel the responsibility for how people respond to what I teach. Why? Because it's not my responsibility how you respond. You all have a choice to make in the way that you live your life. And truth comes to us. And we all look at that truth, we weigh whether it's true or not, whether we believe it or not, and then we walk away from that truth deciding whether we're going to live what that truth says or not. And what I love about Jesus is Jesus never forces anybody to do anything. He offers a choice. He says, here you go. You can either build your life like this or build your life like that, but the choice is yours. The responsibility is also yours. There's no blaming somebody else because of the way that your life turns out or the way that your eternity uh, turns out. 
We just talked about how whenever we take communion, there's responsibility attached, right? So today, by listening and reading these words that we've already read from Jesus, we already have a responsibility in how we're going to respond to the words of Jesus. In the Old Testament in Joshua, the children of Israel, they've, they've gone through the wilderness. They're about to go into the promised land. They're, about, you know, they're, they're taking land, and, and one of the, they, they've taken a lot of land, and Joshua is their leader. And Joshua, towards the end of his life, He's kind of recounting to the people, the Lord is speaking through Joshua in, in chapter 24 of Joshua, and, and he's recounting to the people, reminding them of what God has done. And after he gets done reminding them of what God has done, he says this in verse 15. If it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, whether God... Yahweh, you know, the God that has delivered us, or the God of the Amorites, the false gods that you've also seen. Uh, choose this day who you're going you're gonna to serve. And then he says this, and many of you have this quote, like, either on your Instagram or, like, on your house, like, in some sort of, you know, like, stressed, distressed wood, like, painted, you know what I'm saying? But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Right? It's all over Pinterest as well. But... <laughs> These words are so non-controlling. Joshua, he's looking at the people and he's like, hey, listen, you can either choose to serve the real God that we've all seen do incredible works, or you can, you can serve the gods of the Amorites, which are, are faulty and false. You know, it's up to you. But, but as for me and my house, we're going this way. And if you'd like to come this way, you can join me. You know what I'm saying? All throughout scripture, you see this communication of, of the, the consequence of our actions, the consequence of our choices, but you don't ever see anybody, you know, torturing somebody to make a choice to follow Jesus. You know, you don't see Jesus holding a knife to somebody's throat saying, follow me. That's weird because it didn't happen. And it's still the same thing today. Jesus is not forcing you to follow him. Right? You know, as a church, we don't force people to do anything. A lot of churches, a lot of people can fall into that and using guilt and condemnation to coerce and manipulate people into doing what they want them to do for their own gain, for their own reasons. And maybe sometimes it starts out pure. Can you imagine Joshua right here? He knows what's going to happen to the people if they reject God. And he does warn them about that. He says, hey, listen, if you ever walk away from God, you're going to be cursed. It's going to be really bad for you. And they're like, no, we never will, Joshua. And then you keep reading, and, and they did over and over and over again. We all have a choice to make, and Jesus gives us a choice. And some people want to recuse themselves from responsibility. I talked to somebody a couple of years ago who... Uh, they're really struggling with their faith and whether they believed in Jesus and, and everything. And, and one thing they said, I had actually thought before too, but they just said it. Uh, they said, I feel like I've been born and thrust into this, this decision that I have to make. Just by being a person and being alive of who I'm going to follow or, or, or whether I'm going to believe in God or not. And honestly, I just don't want to make a choice to believe in anything. And I said, I understand that tension. That's why a lot of people end up in agnosticism and things. And you say, I'm not going to choose. I said, however, by having a heartbeat, there is a choice that you have to make. Like you're alive, you're breathing, therefore you have faith. And therefore you're putting your faith in something or someone. 
You can't walk away from that. So recusing yourself from a choice and responsibility does not actually work. That's not the way that this happens. We all have a choice to make. It's a very binary choice. The second thing that I see Jesus tell us about is he warns us or he tells us to be hearers and doers. He says be hearers and doers. The importance of actually hearing is first. In order to do something, you must hear the instructions on what to do. Am I right? One plus one is two. It's pretty, pretty simple. But do you know that you have to expel energy, expend energy in order to hear instruction and to know how it is that you're supposed to either live your life or whatever the case is? You actually have to learn first before you do. And so you have to expend energy to do that. You have to critically think you have to seek to learn. If you want to know what God's desire is for you in your life, then you must read his word. You must, you must hear people teach about the ways of God in order to understand what you're even supposed to do. You actually have to employ your mind. Okay, like, like even in a, in a time like this, whenever you're listening to, some, to somebody teach, you have to be engaged. You have to stay focused and say, what is it that the word of God is, is speaking to me in this subject so I can learn and then when I leave here, go and do. But a lot of times, we just want the cliff notes. We want the, like the, title, you know, the, 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 the title of the article. We don't actually read the whole article. Just give me, like the, give me the, the high stuff. Make me, make me glad, make me excited, make me feel good. But we don't, if we don't receive instruction and challenge, then we can't even obey what Jesus is telling us to do here by actually going and doing what he's instructing us to do. But then after we learn, then we must apply. To hear and not do, Jesus says is not wise. It's foolish. To just hear and not do is foolish. Nobody wants to be called a fool. Nobody wants to be called foolish. But Jesus just says if we hear the word if we if we hear his word we have the responsibility to then decide whether we're going to go do the word and apply it james chapter 1 says this be uh, but be doers of the word and not hearers only and if you do this you're only deceiving yourselves again i'm I, today I, i'm reading the scripture i'm i'm doing my best to communicate it to you but it's on you to take the words of Jesus and apply it. And if you don't apply it to your life, you're only deceiving yourself. You're not deceiving me. <laughs> Same thing applies to me, by the way. If I don't apply, I'm only deceiving myself. Oh, I'm, you're, I'm fine. Yeah, but you're not, you're not obeying the words of Jesus. It's okay, I'm fine. You're not living like the Bible says to live. How, how are you fine? I'm fine. I'm recusing myself of, I'm, I'm, I'm backing out of any choice I have to make. I'm just, it's good. As long as I'm a good person. On, on, on what scale? Right? This is the way that our mind works and we actually can fall into deception. So Jesus says, be hearers and doers. He gives us a choice to make, to make the, the choice of which one we would like to be. Number three, Jesus warns us that storms will then test the foundation of our life. 
Storms are going to test the foundation of our life. Proverbs 10, 25 says this. When the tempest or the storm passes, the wicked is no more, but the righteous is established forever. When storms come, if we put this Proverbs together with what Jesus is saying, when storms come, it's, it, you know what? It's hard to see what's actually being damaged or destroyed during a storm. We're in Hurricane Central down here, right? And how many of you, you know, whenever you leave, you're like watching CNN or Fox, you're watching the news, and you're trying to like a weather channel, you know, Jim Cantori, and you're like, you're trying to like see if like that's your house or like that's a business that you know of or whatever. And, and, and really what you want is you want a live feed like GoPro flying through the storm, surveying all the areas that you care about during a storm. But what happens? Nine times out of ten, you don't know anything until the storm passes and the sun comes up and all of a sudden a few news crews get out there and start surveying the damage, right? And then all of a sudden we start seeing the films come back on, on the news. When the storm passes, you're really not sure what you're made of. In the middle of the storm, a lot of times you're not sure, but that storm is what's testing what your foundation or your life is built on. And so we spend a lot of our time trying to stay away from storms whenever storms honestly are the thing that show us what we're made of. It's the only thing that actually builds strength in our lives is walking through suffering and pain and loss. It's unfortunate. I wish it wasn't that way. But let me tell you something. My muscles are not tested whenever I'm watching golf on the couch. Man, I'm... I'm feeling really good right now. You know? <laughs> you know, I'm in really good health. And then I get up and like I go to, I go outside to, I don't know, pick up some trash and I'm like winded, you know? You're not in good health. You need to be tested. You need to get up. You need to feel some stress in your body. So you need to get that heart rate up to see what's going on. You ever go to a, uh, the doctor and get a stress test? They're, 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 they're testing you to see what happens to your body whenever you're under pressure. And a storm is pressure. And when a storm comes, the Bible says that the wicked don't last. The wicked don't remain. But the righteous, they're established forever. I want to be the latter. I want to be in the second group. Sometimes we look at people's lives as like these giant, beautiful homes on the coastline or like on the edge of a cliff. Whenever we were coming back from uh, uh, California, we were driving back to the, the uh, airport, and I looked on the side of this mountain, and there was this incredible house. It was just Beautiful. Like one of those houses, you know, it's like house, house, whoa, house, house, house. you know what I'm saying? And so I, I looked quick on like Zillow, zoomed in and looked at this house and it was like millions of dollars and all this kind of stuff. I was like, of course, you know, it's millions of dollars. And, but it was on the edge of this cliff. And when I was preparing for this, I was thinking about that house and I was thinking about some of those videos, you know, you see on YouTube where there's a house on the edge of a cliff like that. And all of a sudden there's a landslide or there's a whatever and the, it gets eroded underneath it. And there's, everybody's just kind of sitting there watching and all of a sudden it just goes, it just falls down. Millions of dollars just, you know. And I think sometimes we look at people's lives 
and we're so impressed with the way that their life is. We're so impressed with, you know, their Instagram role or reel, you know, their highlight reel. We're, we're impressed with their car and we're impressed with how they look. We're, we're just impressed. And the thing about life is that it, it just erodes at things that are thin and, and lightweight. It just, life just has a way of just beating up against things that don't matter. And a lot of times what happens, by the way, there's nothing wrong with happen, having a nice house. And I'm, I'm not saying that it's wrong. I'm just saying sometimes we look at that and we, fi we figure, we assume that the people who have those things, are ob they have it together, right? And, and, but, but over time, you can realize a lot of things, a lot of things about people who are in those places. A lot of times that is all that they have. Not all the time, but sometimes. And as life continues to, like the waves of life continue to beat up against those things, it doesn't matter how big the house is or how perfect it looks. You, you know, they realize their marriage is shot. They grow up, they realize that their kids don't love them. And all of a sudden these things that really matter, at the end of the day, they would sell all of that if they could have the basic things in life, right? We, we understand that. That's the picture that we have to have here. It, it doesn't matter. That's one thing I love about the church, I love about Jesus, is that whenever we come into a group like this, there's some of you that make a lot of money, and there's some of you who make not a lot of money. But yet in Jesus, we're all the same. We're all level, right? Because the foundation of our life is not built on those things. We can have nice things. That's not a sin. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying there's things that come into our lives that sometimes distract us from the things that really matter. Corey Ten Boom said this, in order to realize the worth of the anchor, we need to feel the stress of the storm. If Jesus is the anchor, whenever we walk through storms, for those who are truly building their life on Christ, for those who truly believe in him, when you go through a storm, you know that you grip tighter to the name of Jesus. You know that you hold on tighter. You don't push God away. You actually embrace him more. You say, God, where are you? What are you doing? I need you now. Right? The anchor. We need to feel the stress of the storm in order to realize the importance of the anchor. I tell you another thing that, that, that tests the foundation of our life is change. Change tests the foundation of our life. I want to read this to you. This has to do with young people. I think it's also very appropriate as we're, a lot of people are graduating high school right now and, and getting into college. The Bible says that, I mean, the Bible, the survey says, well, don't want to confuse those two things. Uh, <laughs> some surveys say half of Christian students leave their faith when they enter college. Their foundation is tested when they leave an environment where the Bible or the biblical belief is the majority and they enter an environment where that belief is the minority. Whenever a young person graduates high school, and if you're that young person right now, I'm, I'm talking specifically to you. You all of a sudden come out of this safe place, and that safe place could be your parents' house. It could be just the routine of everything that you've ever known, and, and, it, and, and everything that you also ever believed. And the things that have kind of been even maybe a shadow or an echo, and you hear these, what people say about Christianity and God and, and, and doubt and all these things, it's still like you go home to mom, you know, and you're still kind of covered by mom or dad or grandma, whoever it is. But whenever you step out from underneath that covering, it's just you. And guess what? That foundation 
gets tested. Do I really believe all of this? Because what can happen, especially as a, as a kid growing up at church, is your faith can actually be your parents' faith, not your own. It can happen. And there has to be a moment, there has to be a, a season that you walk through where, where you receive that baton, all right, from your parents, that you receive it, that baton, and you take it. And it's like, no, this isn't my parents' faith, this is my faith. It's got to happen. For me, it started when I was about 16 years old, really. Started doubting a lot. Started having a lot of issues. And it took many years before I could really stand on my own two feet and say, like, I'm not doing this because my dad's always did it. I'm not doing it because my mom. Actually, I will say this, watching their life, there was a lot of times that I was, their story was the only thing that I had to hold on to. Because I was like, I know what, it, what Jesus did in their life. I know that. I know that was real. I just don't know if it's real for me right now. And I had to go through that time. But I want to encourage you, as you step out, you don't, what, what, did, the, what did the quote say from Corey Tim Boom? In order to realize the worth of the anchor, we need to feel the stress of the storm. Over time, you will realize the importance of Jesus over time. For some of you, you're going to walk through some really dark times. You're going to walk through some really distant times. The people I'm very close to, that, that's their story. They walked away from God for a while. But God has a way of allowing us to make decisions that are not always in our best interest. But he will use those things to bring us back to him. And I believe that for some of you, you're excited about this next phase of life. And you should be. It's an exciting time. But I also want you to be introspective and think about what about me and Jesus? What about me and God? What, is, what does that look like? When I go to college and I'm away from mom and dad, I'm away from grandma and grandpa, I'm away from that covering, who am I going to be? Am I going to be a disciple of Jesus or am I going to walk away from this? That's all I have to say about that. Something to think about. The reality is that storms will come and a stable life and heart starts with a stable foundation. There's two questions that I want to ask. What does it look like to build a life on sand? What does building a life on sand look like? I'm not going to read it right now, but you can go to Galatians chapter 5 and you can read about the works of the flesh. Those are some examples of what it would look like to, to build your life on, a, on sand, shifting sand. There's a lot of unbiblical ideologies out there today that we could, we could base our life upon and begin to follow. That's what it would look like to build your life upon sand, to begin to adopt the thinking of the world and begin to apply it to your life. You know how we talked about hearing the words of Jesus and applying those? Did you know that you can hear the words of the world and apply those? So what does it look like? It looks like, looks like hearing the words of Jesus and adopting that as your, as your worldview and not the world, not, not unbiblical worldviews. Earlier I said, I said this phrase, I'm, I'm, I'm a good person, right? Another way of, of saying that is that 
a person that says that, and that's their, that's their righteousness that they're standing on, is moralism. Is that they're steeped in moralism, and a lot of people are, are caught in that, even in the church. A lot of people have this whole scale. I've been really good, so therefore God's really pleased with me. He loves me. Now I've been really bad, therefore God doesn't love me anymore, and, and, and he's against me. And that's not where the conversation starts. The conversation starts with whose righteousness are you clothed in? And the Bible talks about being clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. You might want to picture the story of the prodigal son. Whenever he came back from his crazy life, blowing his dad's inheritance, he comes back and he's dirty and he stinks. And he walks up and his dad puts a cloak on him and covers him. It's a picture of how God sees us whenever we receive Jesus, whenever we accept his sacrifice, that we are clothed in the righteousness of God, not moralism. Building your life on a faulty foundation looks like trusting in your own righteousness. Self-righteousness. And that only gets you so far. Moralism. Our foundation of goodness is very inconsistent, right? I mean, for some, killing unborn children is it's called a good thing now. You know, it's celebrated. That's a sliding scale. We have a sliding scale of morality that changes based upon what's good for us, not what glorifies God. And so as people who don't want to build our life on a faulty foundation, on, on a sandy foundation, it looks like saying, no, what does the word of God say about these things? And that's how I'm going to live my life because it, it honors him. Only being good will miss God. We have this statement we say around here a little bit. Some people are converted to church but not to Christ. Some people are, are they're converted to a building to a service like they really like, like they come on Sundays and they feel really good about that. But being converted to Christ is not just a Sunday morning thing. It's something that affects Monday through Saturday as well. It infiltrates, he infiltrates your entire life. He convicts you of sin and, and the Holy Spirit directs you and guides you into righteousness. And that's how we live our lives. And whenever we don't, Whenever we miss the mark, we repent and we come back to the feet of Jesus. That's what it looks like to live a life for God. So we don't want to be converted to church but not Christ because that can also be an indication that we're building our life on a sandy foundation. But the last question is this. What does building a life on the rock look like? What does building a life on the rock look like? Well, kind of tongue-in-cheek a little bit. It looks like everything that we've taught for the last 13 weeks. The Sermon on the Mount, that's what Jesus, if, if, if Jesus, that's what he's saying here is that hear my words, the whole entire sermon that I've talked. What did he talk about? Well, he talked about having a heart for God, a heart for people, heart of love, heart of faithfulness and integrity, a heart of generosity, prayer, devotion, trust, humility, dependence on God, a heart of truth, that we love truth. And a heart of relationship with God, not just rules. These are the things that we've talked about over the last few weeks. And today we've been talking about a heart of stability. What does it look like to build a life on the rock, on a rock? It looks like these things right here. Which is a big contrast from, if you go back and read Galatians chapter 5, okay, the works of the flesh. 
and, and other things like that. It, it looks completely different, and it leads to a different result. I want to read Psalm 19, verse 7 through 11, because these verses right here also summarize the heart, I believe, of all the things that we've been talking about the last few weeks. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect. Y'all remember we talked about the heart of the law, right? Over the, the first whole month was about the heart of the law. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making, the, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Verse 11, moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. We are to embrace the commandments of God. We are to embrace the law of the Lord because th that's where we find life. That's where we find health. Did you know that the commandments of God are not just for eternity, although they are? His heart is that we would also have a life today, right now. That is better. It is better than living in accordance to the rules of the world. I can tell you that. Obedience to God is not only, does not only bring life to you in eternity, it brings life to you right now. Right now, today. So it's not like my dad used to think. He was like, I tell you what, I'm going to calculate this. When I'm about 75, that's whenever I'm going to really start, you know, following God and doing all the things that I've learned at church. He's like 75. But up until then, I'm going to live my life. And it was only a few years in that he realized that there was not much life to live. It's the same thing weekend after weekend. Because the world doesn't have that much to offer. There's some fun. There's some entertainment. Absolutely. But whenever you zoom out and you begin to look at the big picture, the commandments of God are for our good and for his glory. So that's number one. What does it look like to build a life on the rock? This list of things that we just read. The last thing is that ultimately to build a stable life on the rock is to build a life on Christ alone. That he would be the foundation of your life. That everything that you do would be built upon his truth, would be built upon his word. 1 Corinthians 3 says this, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, Jesus Christ. No one can actually lay another foundation that is a rock. Every single other foundation that is out there that you can think of, every foundation is sand. There's one rock, Jesus, and it's been laid. It's been laid. Jesus, Ephesians calls, uh, talks about Jesus being the cornerstone of the church. Jesus is the rock of the church, the called out ones, the body of Christ. There is no other real church other than the church, the gathering of people that is built upon the, the, the gospel of the good news of Jesus. But also, that's collectively, individually, it's the same thing. We are the church. We know that. We talk about that a lot. 
collectively, but individually you are the church as well. And your life must be built upon Jesus. It cannot be built upon your career. It cannot be built upon your family. Even as noble as that sounds. It's not built on good intentions. It's not built on your good actions. Your life, the foundation of your life can only be in Jesus. It's, it, he is the center point. It's where all of your, it's where all of your good deeds don't, don't seem as, as, as meaningful at the foot of the cross, right? But also, it's where all of your bad deeds don't seem as meaningful. Why? Because Jesus took on all of that. He took on your sin, your shame, your pride, your success. He took on all of those things, and he died to pay the price that you actually, you actually deserve that. And so every day that we live as believers, we continue to go back to the well of the goodness of God, of the faithfulness of God, that he has not left us and nor will he leave us. But he's here with us. And that's where we find hope and faith and strength to walk through any storm. And some of those storms, we end up learning what we're really made of, right?